it, I got into what I do for a living because of the Beatles. Welcome to Something Will Happen, a podcast about the largest Beatles music festival in the U.S., Abbey Road on the River, celebrating our 20th anniversary, May 26th to 30th, 2022. I'm Melissa, one of the organizers of the festival, and I'll be talking about all things Abbey Road on the River, held every Memorial Day weekend in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Whether you're new to Abbey Road on the River or you're a festival regular, if you love the Beatles as much as we do, you're in the right place. This is Something Will Happen. Something Will Happen. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me on the Something Will Happen podcast. Today, I'm being joined by Peyton Dale of The Peyton Project. Um, Some people may know you from coming to the festival for many years in the past, which we could get into, but also um, as a rock and roll and kind of body positivity stylist. Um, But I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself just so people know a little bit more about you and, and The Peyton Project. Well, hi guys. Uh, I'm Peyton Dale. Like Melissa said, I have been coming to Abbey Road on the River since 2007, which is crazy. Um, but I am a wardrobe stylist. I dress rock stars in real life, and I dress rock stars on the internet. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a dream job. That <laughs> dream or a nightmare, do- depending on who you're working with. Uh, yeah, sounds about right. And you do it full time, right? Yeah, full time for five years. I've been full time. That's great. How is it? Uh, it's weird in a kind of post COVID world. It was very weird in the height of COVID, but we're getting yeah. back to normal aside from, you know, supply chain issues and um, <laughs> denim shortages. And there was a sequin shortage for a minute. So it's, it's been interesting to navigate, but it's always what I like about it is that it's very creative. It's very, um, I've always been someone that wanted to help musicians because I love music so much. So it's kind of my way of helping out. Um, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. I really do enjoy it. Yeah. Depending on who I'm working for. <laughs> True. And we know some musicians really need it. So <laughs> mm-hmm. some of them do. It's job security. <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't think a lot of people think about that in terms of music like you think just like musicians are just naturally cool or they naturally know like what to wear on stage like I think that's like what I always thought (laughs) like why would you need a stylist you just like know how to how to dress but a lot of people don't (laughs) they do the music and that's yeah yeah well and it's when people are either very people are either very visual or they are auditory or they're tactile people in general. So a lot of people who are auditorily focused are not going to be as visually focused. So it's very rare to find, uh, musicians that can do all the above. Yeah. Um, but I am kind of, I, I kind of modeled my business after Astrid, you know, who was essentially Mm. the first rock and roll stylist, uh, for the Beatles. So I didn't know this could be a job until I started studying the Beatles and, they'd met this random woman who had really cool style and had a lot of opinions. And she kind of turned them into these icons that we know now. So a lot Mm -hmm. of people think that this job is new, but Astrid's been doing this since the beginning. Right. So it's a whole thing. Um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know the Beatles if Astrid hadn't gotten her hands on them. That's a good point. Yeah. So how did she influence them? Did she put them in the leather jackets? She did. And she put, she gave them the haircuts. Oh, she, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, So she kind of 
you know, she was dating Klaus Vorman when she met the Beatles and Klaus kind of had the, the Beatle cut and Astrid met Stuart and John and Pete and Paul and um, John and was like, oh, you guys need those haircuts. So they listened, they thought she was cool. And they, they started, started doing the turtlenecks and the leather pants, which got them noticed by Brian Epstein. So the haircuts are really what got him invested. He's like, what are these haircuts? They're so weird. And then later on, Brian didn't have all the records pressed. They didn't have all these promo things, but they had images and they had the haircut. So we, it was kind of drilled into America's heads. These four guys are coming over and they've got really weird haircuts. We don't know anything about their music, but this image kept being blasted to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people think that being image-based in your marketing as a musician is a new thing with Instagram. And it's really not, it's been around since the Beatles. Right. Yeah. Cause she took the photos of them too, right? Yeah. So she took those iconic images of them in Hamburg, which we all now know, but if they had different haircuts, would you have noticed them? If they weren't dressed cool, would you have noticed them? I I joke all the time. Like you could be the greatest guitar player in the world, but if you look like somebody's dad, no one's going to (laughs) pay attention. Right. And just having that cohesive look between all of them. Yeah. They look like they sound. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what cool. got them noticed by Brian, who then kind of turned them into what we now know as like fab Beatles. Right. That's so interesting. I've never, I've never thought about that yeah. for a long time. I haven't thought about Astrid Kutcher and like the whole like pre Beatles time period, but. Well, and I mean, if you think about it, Brian had other artists on his roster. He had like um, Jerry and the Pacemakers and a couple others, those Liverpool sure. bands, but they didn't have images. hmm where like, we don't, we don't, there's, I don't think there's a Jerry and the Pacemakers festival. I'm sure there is. <laughs> I'm sure one person really enjoys it, but it's like the image based with the music is what helped get it across mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers were copying other people at the time where the Beatles yes. were doing this very their own thing. Yeah. Like she was like, why don't you be different than what everyone else sees? Yeah. Maybe it's that German influence too. I don't know. I don't know. I am. My ancestors are German. So maybe there is something to be said there. There's a lot of very no. opinionated <laughs> German women that are trying to dress musicians in the world. <laughs> yeah. I've never well, put that together, but here we are. <laughs> right. Well, talking about like the, the Beatles influence, like how do you feel that the Beatles um, and Astrid Kutcher and everything that went with it how they kind of influenced the rest of the sixties. I mean, that might be a huge question to ask, no, but like, it's a good one. that so, was kind of like 1960 when they met right in that yeah. area. And then like, so they kind of kicked off that style. And here's the thing about the Beatles or any of the musicians around that time period that had great style. They had other people telling them what to wear. Mm-hmm. And that could even be said for um, like the Rolling Stones during the mid sixties, where I think they really peaked. They all had girlfriends that had great style. So Astrid pretty much hands this package off to Brian Epstein, who goes, okay, I'm seeing these new suits from Pierre Cardin coming out, the kind of, you know, um, Mandarin collar inspired suits. He couldn't afford them. Hmm. So he took those patterns and went to a tailor named Dougie Millings and said, okay. make us something like this. So that's where you get the wait, collarless. Wait, 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 yeah, what's a Mandarin collar? It's, the, it's like a collarless suit, which is like oh, okay. the, um, the, the really iconic, like gray suits that we all think of when we think of the Beatles, okay. they're collarless. Like those first 
1963 promo shots. So uh-huh. Brian goes, we can't get these. Can you make something like this to Dougie? And then he creates these suits and those become iconic because Brian was already thinking uh-huh. a few steps ahead. Like, yeah, what if they had suits? What if they were these cool new suits? Right. But couldn't afford the designer ones. So, you know, when yeah. you're on a budget, you got to work around <laughs> and do some cool things. But, uh, and then when you had... I think the only real time where they didn't have someone kind of telling them what to wear was that pepper era where they were making their, like when the pepper suits were made. Um, there's a lot of debate in Beetle costume nerd world about where those suits came from. And a lot of people have come forward and claimed that they were the designers of the Sergeant Pepper uniform. Mm. They were still getting influence from all these other outside sources. There were all these really great boutiques in London uh, like Granny Takes a Trip and Mr. Fish and Hung on You and a lot of these kind of psychedelic brands, which were, it was basically like a mixture of 20s movie star meets um, Edwardian meets Moroccan, like all these really cool influences. It was really cool to look like you'd been well-traveled and kind of gotten stuff mm. from everywhere, which I think is something that a lot of personal style Uh, lacks today is that people just go to one Mm -hmm. place and buy everything as opposed to collecting it um Mm. but I mean like George and Patty still kind of shared each other's clothes like that was very common so they always kind of had someone telling them what to wear if not the outside world and all their rock star friends they were hanging out with but a lot of the owners of these London boutiques were like very high society people and they all kind of hung out together so there were always outside influences kind of telling them what to wear <laughs> yeah oh that's really cool I never knew about all that stuff in the, the little shops in London and stuff oh yeah and that was a big inspiration for the Apple boutique because the Beatles thought mm. oh all of our friends have stores oh okay. why don't we have a store yeah. and I actually have some I don't have physical pieces yet from the Apple boutique but I have labels and I have um, the inner tags from a lot of the garments because you could tell the Beatles were not good business people <laughs> the same way that they probably weren't the best stylists in the world. Um, but the, the really weird thing about the Be- Apple boutique is that they hired this Dutch collective called the fool, which a lot of people know about um, to do all their clothes. So you don't know when you get a piece of clothing from the Apple boutique, one, if it survived, because yeah. there's not that many pieces out there, but two, they lost so much money on making these clothes because the labels were silk oh, and they're gorgeous. They're like hand-stitched giant apples with this logo. Oh, wow. And the, the labels were more expensive than the actual garments. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you could just tell they were really thinking about like aesthetically pleasing, but not necessarily the most cost-effective. They were um, on brand, but. <laughs> they were very on brand. And what I... What I did notice, I have been fortunate to be able to get in some of the garments. I've actually been able to get inside some of the Beatles' actual clothes and kind of do almost like a CSI on them. Yeah. And and we can talk about that too. Um, mm. And then the Apple boutique clothes. What's so funny is they're they're haphazardly made, but oh, these really? these labels are gorgeous. Like yeah. I have them framed in my office because the labels are so pretty, but the clothes were they were cool. They just, it was kind of like fast fashion back in the day. Uh, yeah. She don't think about it. I think about everything was made like well back then, but you mean like a bunch of people on a bunch of different drugs are not going to make good quality clothing. (laughs) Good point. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's interesting, especially when there's like a language barrier. Yeah. It's, sure. but you can see if you want to see some of those clothes in action, uh, the movie Wonderwall, it's all done by the fool. All the costumes are done by the fool. All the set designs done by the fool. So you can kind of see, um, there are pieces that were in the Apple boutique that was in that movie which, and George did all the music for it. So there's kind of this, um, you know, interwoven, almost familial kind of feel. I'm pulling up a picture of this label. Yeah. Obviously people at home can't see it, but it's right. hand stitched and it's silk. Wow. It's like, awesome. Well, we'll put a link to that. Yeah. It's, so uh, can see it. it's beautiful, but it's like, you they didn't think about this. Not at all. No, right. Um, but yeah, I mean that they always had these outside sources kind of telling them what was cool and what to wear. And even yeah. when you go to India, they're dressed just like the Maharishi. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. What Beatles yeah. clothes have you been in or like touched or? I have, I always say that I got in John Lennon's pants, which is not a tasteful <laughs> joke since this is probably a family show. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to get my hands on the suit that John wore in the train for a hard day's night. Oh, okay. And I, I was doing wardrobe for a show here, a local Christmas show and the opener owned the suit. Wow. And I'd been kind of doing this residency for a few years and I knew the opener pretty well at this point. And he comes, he comes to my, my room that I'm working out of and says, Hey, I need you to take care of my suit tonight, which I didn't normally take care of his stuff. I just took care of the main, the main two folks. I said, yeah, no problem. And he hangs it up on my rack and kind of leaves and he comes back to check on me and I haven't, I haven't pressed it yet. I haven't, I haven't done dealt with it. And he goes, Hey, can you, I really need you to take a look at this. And I went, okay, cool. No problem. And I, I go and I go, Oh, this looks like a vintage suit. Is this a beatwear suit? You know, like the replica hmm. store. And I open the inside of the label and I see Jay Lennon, one of two, HDN, and the scene number. What? And uh, I freeze and I go, I need to be wearing gloves. How do you have this? Why are you letting me touch this? Like I went through all these things because right. that movie, Hard Day's Night, and seeing Patty Boyd in the train, I kind of had that moment of that's what I want to look like. That's what I want to dress people like. Mm -hmm. That's that it was where it all clicked, and I'm holding it. Yeah. in my hands <laughs> and I'm touching it. It's like the weird, it's the weirdest thing in the world. And it must be how like Indiana Jones felt about like the Holy Grail <laughs> or something like that. Cause I start vibrating. I'm like, Oh my. And it, to the yeah. outside world, it looks like I'm crying over a suit. Um, and it <laughs> is cloth, right? Yeah. Uh, and I am, but he let me, he let me wear it. He let me kind of open up. I have pictures of every seam of that <laughs> They're beautiful. Like they're these high quality yeah. London tailor from the sixties. Like it doesn't get better than that. And just seeing the details on it and seeing how well it's held up because he wears it. It's not something that he keeps in behind glass. And I go, why right, is that? I was going to ask. He wears, like, he, he wears it on stage. He wears it on stage. He's a musician. Okay. No, no. He's, um, he's a singer songwriter. That's very famous and very well known. And okay. he just like found so out look the that reason part. Yeah. Well, his ex-wife bought it for him for his birthday. Okay. And um, wow. I know it's <laughs> nice. a different tax bracket than me, Melissa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it was funny. I actually met him because of the Beatles, because the way that this venue I work at was set up is that my little world, my wardrobe world is kind of in between two dressing rooms. So one yeah. dressing room is all the 
the dudes in the band who are all friends of mine now at this point. And then the opener is across the hall from me. Mm-hmm. And the opener starts warming up one night with, you're going to lose that girl. Mm. And he's singing out loud and he forgets the words. And I pop in and I go, if you don't treat her right, my friend, you're going to find her gone. And I pop back out and he's like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> who are you? What happened? What's going on? And then I introduced myself and I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a Beatles fan. And he kind of tested me over those weeks. Ah. <laughs> like, let's see if she is, let's see if she's cool enough. So when I told him the Heart Days <laughs> Night story, he's like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, but I put it on and I took pictures in it and I go down to the, the main artist dressing room. She goes, you see the suit? And I went, yep. She goes, did you cry? And I went, yep. <laughs> So, oh so I've gosh. been fortunate enough to be in John Lennon's pants. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that is, yeah, that is amazing. I would think like something like that. I don't know. It does feel like that should be in a museum somewhere. Like there should be a museum of Beatles artifacts. Well, it's- did you see that Julian <laughs> is now doing NFTs of John's clothes? Really? NFTs? He's doing NFTs. Like pictures of-, of their clothes? Yes. Okay. He's doing an NFT of the, um, the magical mystery tour jacket, like the cool psychedelic one. And then the cape that he wore in help in okay. Switzerland and then something else that wasn't clothing related, but he's doing NFTs. So I guess that you too can own part of it on the internet. Interesting. Cause you can't like just Google a picture of that. No, <laughs> I have, I do have uh, four Beatles swatches from their tailor. I found someone who worked for their tailor online there's certificates of authenticity, Ooh. but I have John Paul, George and Ringo suit swatches. And then I have um, part of something that George wore a cat in India. And those wow. are all also on my, okay on the walls of my cool, office. I want, you can like frame it. Yeah. And yeah. Like, and I'm like, it. it's a, it's a tangible thing yes. that I, I mean, it's not for me. Like NFTs aren't for me, but I, don't, you know, I still don't understand them. Yeah. But. I, so many people have tried to explain them to me and I go, that sounds nice. I'd rather have that. <laughs> And I try to explain to people and if they don't get it, I go, no, it's a Beatles swatch, like a swatch of fabric that the Beatles wore. They're like, so it's Beatle trash. I'm like, yes, <laughs> it is. Uh, but it's my, it's my Beatle trash. <laughs> exactly. Everyone has that like different memorabilia yeah. that they just treasure. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't really collect much of anything else these days. I used to be like a psychopath that had every single thing. Um, okay. I remember one of my favorite Abbey Road on the River memories. And yes. mo- one of my most irresponsible ones. We won't get into the, the super irresponsible <laughs> ones. Um, I graduated from high school and the next day drove up to Abbey Road. Oh, and I with had, some friends or just by yourself? I, by myself. Oh, okay. Because all my friends were there. Well, yes, all your friends are here. <laughs> and I had a an envelope full of graduation money. And I was like, this will last me the whole week. This is fine. It lasted me two days because I bought every single piece of memorabilia I could possibly get. Yeah. Um, but so I've toned it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're more selective these days. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember calling home going, hey, hey, um, what do you, what do I do? You're like, I need gas money. <laughs> I ran out of money because I bought a beetle clock. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, proves that you're a true beetle fan. I am. I really am. Um, I was trying to think if there's other, with the Get Back coming out, there's now Mm going to be like a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame exhibit for Get Back. 
Oh, and cool. I was I was hoping to go because I want to see the clothes in person. Mm. Yeah, because I I mean, it wasn't the best time style wise for them. And John will even admit, like I wore, the, you know, he says in Get Back, like I'm wearing the same clothes for continuity. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so you can't we tell know, which how many days we know that other things are going on behind the scenes. But there's a really interesting story about John and Yoko during that time period. Mm. And how they saved an entire department at Bergdorf Goodman. By how much they bought. <laughs> so Ber- there is a documentary for like really big fashion nerds called Scatter My Ashes at Bergdorf. Mm. And it's all about this department store in New York, this big famous department store. And there is a woman who's interviewed who worked in the fur department. Oh. And they were really worried with kind of the the new hippie thing. Like no one wanted to wear fur anymore. It was kind of seen as uh, like, that's what your fuddy-duddy parents did. Like that was Mm -hmm. very fifties to get a fur. And then John and Yoko came out and bought them out. Whoa. Gave gave coats away. George is wearing one of those coats in Get Back. Like they gave them out to everybody. Brian Jones has some. Okay. And that's when you start seeing fur become psychedelic as opposed to this like you know hoity-toity kind of 50s conservative thing like you bought your wife a fur coat Mm -hmm. no like john and yoko saved that entire department from being completely shut down wow because that's what that is that what that documentary is about or about their ultimate closing it's it's kind of about like the department store in general and the history of it because it is very really cool actually yeah yeah it's really interesting and they interview a lot of cool people but um and when I went, I went to Bergdorf a few years ago and I wanted to see the fur department and it's not really, it's, you know, like a, this big, but I thought, mm. let's see what John and Yoko did. Of course, it's been remodeled a million times over, but sure. um, yeah, it was interesting to see like, oh, they saved an entire floor. That's just crazy. From the, you know, a Tuesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go shopping? Let's buy the whole store. <laughs> okay. That's right. my goal. It's funny. Yeah, it is interesting how, yeah, the furs and even with like the almost famous and the Penny Mm -hmm. Lane coat, that's what that all the whole 60s vibe makes me think of as much as I don't like fur and fur coats, (laughs) but it is a classic look. It is. And it's, it was almost completely extinct. It was almost something of the past kind of with the circle skirts with the big petticoats underneath them. Mm. But John and Yoko did that. It's funny because now a few years ago, there was this style that was very trendy called the model off duty. And it was a jean, a Converse, you know, sneaker, and then a big fur coat. And I went, that's just George. That is just George (laughs) getting ready to quit the Beatles. And it was so funny because I thought, did George Harrison model off duty? I guess he did. Right. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So every time that I put on my fur coat and my sneakers, I go, I, you know, I might just like quit a band or do something else later like right. if you if you need me get Eric Clapton like I make those jokes at home and that's funny yeah well let's talk about how the beat like how you grew up with the Beatles and you kind of touched on this but like how did the Beatles influence your personal style and how you style a band now yeah Ooh, that's a good question um so my style personally I got into the Beatles when I was 13 Mm-hmm. and I I've learned this about myself when I go into something I go all the way in and it consumes me and then I come back out and I know mm-hmm. all the things yeah you like total fan I just don't stop until I'm done 
Yeah. And I've always been like that. So I got into the Beatles when I was 13. And I think my whole family thought this was just going to be a phase like, oh, this is going to be like Harry Potter. This is going to be sure. like when you, you know, all these things. But I, I said to them, no, I, I love the Beatles. I want to take drum lessons. I want to um, like really go in on this. I turned my whole room into a Beatles shrine. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I did that too. <laughs> yeah, I think we all did. And yeah. this was in 2002 2003 like it was not cool to be a Beatles fan I think mm-hmm. it became cool after 2009 with rock band uh, yeah. but it was not cool and unlike across that the universe no it was not cool at all um and I was a loner I was a nerd I was very um I had like one friend who also liked all of this stuff so that was really helpful and that was kind of my escapism like if you you know my if you don't have a great life, when you go to school, you kind of create this world to get, a, get away from it. Sure. I got on MySpace and uh-huh. I started, uh, I actually have the 20th friendship anniversary with one of my Beatle friends is coming up soon. So cool. I met, I met her, um, her name's Becky. She's watching this or listening yeah. to this. Uh, we met because we both had Sergeant Pepper uniforms that we'd made and did photo oh. shoots in them. Wow. You made them. I, I helped my grandmother help me make them. Okay. But, but still, uh, that's a big I, Yes. Oh, and then this is pre really like you, ha- I had dial up internet. So in order yeah. to research these things properly, it was a lot. Right. I had to get the right shade of chartreuse because it can't be lime green. Got to be chartreuse. And yes. she did the same thing with George. So I, I was like, is there another girl out there in the world who likes this stuff? Mm-hmm. Turns out there were lots of them. Right. And it made going to school not suck as much because I had friends that I could talk to. And this was pre-texting and pre-smartphone. So I would wait all day long at school and then go home and talk to all my friends online about what happened or, hey, look at this new Beatles thing I got or, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. if we, and Skype had been invented a few years later. So that was always useful to have a friend that you could talk to that liked the same stuff. Because I ultimately do feel to an extent, if you like the same things, you're going to have a lot more in common personality wise, or you're going to have similar things that you've gone through. Um, but I got, I was really insecure and felt like really ugly duckling, but on my space, I did all these photo shoots where I like replicated Beatles stuff, or I would find old Twiggy pictures on Tumblr and then like try to Mm -hmm. do the makeup and then do my own photo shoot with it. So I was really kind of creative directing and styling myself yeah. Long before I knew this was a real job. Right. Um, and I got, and before I mean, TikTok of, existed <laughs> before. Yeah. Long before TikTok existed. Um, so yeah, I kind of met a lot of friends that way. My big thing with, I kind of kept that world hidden from my school friends because I thought that I would get made fun of or teased or whatever. And then when I kind of started getting a lot of friends online, it made it easier to kind of go out in the world and go, well, other people like me. And if you don't, you just have no taste. So the first step I always joke was I knew I couldn't be a Beatle, but I could look like someone that they dated. Mm -hmm. So I went through and I went, what do all these women have in common? And it wasn't, you know, they were all actors and models and all this stuff. I would, I just need the haircut. And if I have the haircut, I'm halfway there. Mm -hmm. Not you're in the wrong time period. You're 14. You have glasses, braces, and acne. You just need bangs. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) And it's so funny because I got them and this was 
your mom had bangs. Like it was not cool to have them. And for some reason, the eighties bangs. (laughs) And for some reason that few inches of hair above my eyebrows gave me so much confidence. And I was like, I'm leaning all in. Mm -hmm. And I wore nothing but vintage for four years of high school. Wow. I did or beetle shirts. So I did all vintage and I would wake up early and I would tease my hair and I'd put on the eyelashes and I would do the whole thing. Yeah. And basically go to school dressed like an Austin Powers reject. <laughs> and I just stopped caring because I had all these friends mm-hmm. online and all these, and yeah. eventually all these friends at Abbey road that thought I was cool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's all I need. Yeah. If you don't like it, screw you. And those people that made fun of me for the way that I dressed my 10 year high school reunion was a couple of years ago. And on the Facebook page, everyone's like, what are you doing now? Show me pictures of your kids. And I went, remember how everyone made fun of me? For what I wore, guess what I do now? Yeah. <laughs> I dress people and they pay me. Yeah. And the concert you went to go see last week, I put him in that. Mm-hmm. Send. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of love. <laughs> yep. You showed them. Yeah. Well, but kind of having they, yeah. that community was really helpful. For sure. Yeah. To be able to like feel more confident to be yourself around anyone yeah. else who cares what I they was, think. Yeah. yeah I was celebrated other places it wasn't mm-hmm. like I, once I kind of realized there's life outside of my stupid high school yes then it was a lot easier to kind of function and to have things to look forward to and to go to I mean obviously like I would see Paul but I couldn't I couldn't go see the Beatles so I'd go to tribute mm-hmm. shows and I would meet friends there and there's all kinds of stuff like that so when I go yeah. I don't go to tribute shows often anymore but when I do and I see like 14 year old girlfriends in the front row I'm like yes it was you. I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, speaking of cover bands, um, I had two questions for you. Actually, one was, um, well, let's go with this one first, because like, especially a cover band covering uh, 60s or 70s or classic mm-hmm. rock music, um, there's other like top 40 music now. But mm-hmm. if someone's covering like those classic rock period, what would what would they need to wear on stage? What advice would you have? It depends on two things. It depends on your audience and it depends on what you're covering. Cause I think some people go way too far with the costumes and then some people don't try at all. Mm -hmm. And the big thing, especially when you're doing a festival is that you want to be able to get people to want to look your way for a good reason. (laughs) And then to go, Oh, they sound really good too, because we see before we hear. So um, the big thing that I've noticed that a lot of bands do is that they, it looks like none of them talk to each other before they go on stage. Mm. So you have like Spice Girl syndrome (laughs) where it's like they all have a different personality. For the Spice Girls. (laughs) It worked for that. But you know what? The Spice Girls color palette was all cohesive and everything was thought out very perfectly. But it's kind of like, um, I also call it uh, hired gun syndrome because in Nashville, where I'm from, you can tell who's in the band and who's just hired to kind of hang out. Um, my husband plays in a very kind of Janis Joplin, big brother in the holding company, and they've yet to find their bass player that they really like. Mm-hmm. So they all look really cool. And then they have a guy who's got like a shaved head in the corner playing mm-hmm. bass. And it's like, that guy is not your friend. And we know that. Yeah. So the big thing is you want to make sure everybody's on the same page and maybe, you know, have a conversation before and, Hey, let's all wear these three colors today or all, let's all try to go for the same feeling today. Uh, mm-hmm. That's your first step because if not, you're going to look like the village people. Right. <laughs> um, 
which worked for the village people because it's a shtick. The other thing too is that if you have a yeah. shtick, lean hard into it. Yeah. Because I've seen stuff where it's like, especially female-fronted bands where the woman is giving everything and the guy's like, I wore a short sleeve button up today. Like mm-hmm. it does, it's not going to be that expensive to add a couple of things to your tour closet and you can write it off. Enjoy your write-off, exactly. get your fringe jacket. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the big thing is that I think that it is disrespectful to pay money to go see a show and the artist doesn't make it a, like a whole experience, mm-hmm. both visually and auditory. Yeah. Um, I think that there's some artists that once they get to a certain point, they feel like they can just give up and then I'm brought in to save that. So, <laughs> but it's like, if you're, if you're covering other people's songs, try to play, pay homage in a way, if you're not a boots and suits mm-hmm. tribute band, try to pay homage in some way, shape or form where it's like, you're, people are coming to see you play because they don't, they want to escape for a little bit, give them something to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. You got to look the part and sound the part. Well, because how many times have you gone to a show where you're like at a festival and you walk by and someone looks awful and you go, oh, they actually sound pretty good, but I don't really want to watch them. Like that happens quite. And, and I think that a lot of people hear that and they go, oh, well, that's just, that's ageist, that's sexist, that's whatever. No, I've seen really old, gross looking people look really cool. Keith Richards, I would leave my husband right. tomorrow for Keith Richards. <laughs> he knows it. Um, because when, when we saw the stones in October, he walks out on stage, he was wearing this really cool, like satin tour jacket and a headband. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's it. That's what I always the headband. Yep. Always the headband. I don't know why I'm fine with it (laughs) because he tried, it shows that he put effort in. I always tell my Uh clients that I work with that four pieces is an outfit. So like four Mm -hmm. pieces is like you're dressed, you're out the door. You can go most, most Americans, Mm -hmm. let me rephrase that. Um, stop before they're actually dressed. Interesting. And I think the number one thing that I hear with my clients is that they never feel like they're polished. And that's because they don't actually take the extra steps to get dressed. They stop at three. It's they like shirt, three. pants, shoes. It was done. Yeah. Done. And if yeah. you added just like one or two more things, it's an outfit. If you really want to go hardcore, I always say four is an outfit. Six is a look. Ah, really? Six is like, she is doing it. She is yeah. doing it most. Like the jacket, the headband, the jewelry. The... There's just something else. Something to look else. At. Yeah. yeah. And there's all kinds yeah. of, I mean, I'm not going to get into like body types and color psychology and all that stuff here, but it is, you could fall down that route <laughs> wow. pretty quick <laughs> Yeah, uh, because there's things that are going to work for everybody. I think yeah. that a lot of people go, well, I can't wear X because I'm to this or not enough that or whatever it is. And I think that a lot mm-hmm. of people are just afraid to kind of sprinkle themselves a little bit. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, very cool. Well, that's good advice. Where do you see, like, what, what style is like, this is very off topic of like the Beatles, but maybe if you've seen like the Beatles style come back in, but like, what's the style right now for bands? I guess it's very, it's all over specific, the place. right? Like depending on their genre, yeah. but the Beatles style, it's kept coming back and it, there are certain brands that it just never goes out of style with. Um, like John Varvatos, all his stuff is still like very Beatles centric, but done kind of like more modern uh there have been so many runway shows where I go that's just magical mystery tour that's just like Uh, someone watched it and was like that's what we're doing um but like everyone on the bus (laughs) yes I'm like oh wow we're really going hardcore that's a sweater vest and that's fringe (laughs) and okay we're I'm keeping up we're doing the whole thing um but it's really all over the map because music's all over the map now especially with uh you don't need to have a label to release stuff everyone can do whatever they want so sure 
I am seeing one of two things. I'm seeing both ends of the spectrum and kind of a post-COVID existence for the music business where people are either still like, I'm going to wear my sweatpants on stage because Mm -hmm. I don't want to wear real pants yet. (laughs) Or I'm seeing people that are like, I want a jumpsuit covered in birds that are bedazzled and rhinestone (laughs) and I want feathers and 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 I've had both. Uh I've had both in the same week. Wow. So I'm seeing these attitudes of people that are either really kind of fed up and they want to express themselves and they want to get out. But I'm also seeing like, yeah, I really enjoyed my leggings. <laughs> so it really depends every, and that's how the fashion industry has kind of been too. Typically speaking in times of historical, uh, what's the right word of saying dumpster fire, <laughs> dumpster fire, we've had better clothing choices. So when you think about all these sure. really historical moments in fashion, the world has been on fire. Yeah. Yeah. The tw- like the twenties and the forties and, and yeah. yeah. And the sixties and I was kind of hoping that we'd get like a renaissance of fashion again. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing little glimpses of it in what's popular now, but I'm also still kind of seeing people are like, yeah, I want to wear my sweatpants yeah. all the time. I mean, it's a slow movement. I've, I feel like that might come, like there'll be a lot of cool art and cool style yeah. that will come out of, out of what this. I'm seeing in the store. Or you'll lead it, of, you know? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> What I'm seeing is uh, a lot of sweatpants still, and then a lot of sequins. And there's not a lot in between, which most of us should be existing in that in-between plane, and I'm not right. seeing it. So I don't know how that's going to play out for everyday people in their style, mm-hmm. but uh, musicians, they're leaning hardcore one way or the other. Interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. And I'm even making tweaks for people who would normally be cool with like a leather pant, but I'm making it where it's more comfortable or like mm-hmm. comfort seems to be a big priority for people still. Right. Yeah. Which I'm like, you're getting up on stage in front of a million people. You, you really worried about being comfortable. Right. Like, this is the <laughs> least natural thing ever. Right. But sure. I'll get you in a last part of your job. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it just depends. It's very, it's a weird time to navigate as someone who works in fashion for so many reasons other than, you know, all the logistics, like supply chains and that kind of stuff. Um, Sizing is weird now more than ever, but it's, it's weird kind of seeing everyone's reaction to what we're doing moving forward as COVID looks like it's starting to be not gone, but not as much of a, in the front of everyone's minds. Sure. Yeah. It's very weird. Well, we'll see where it goes. I mean, maybe you'll lead the new style uh, expression for the, for the decade, you know, yeah, no decades aren't normally waistbands. defined. <laughs> right. No more. As I'm wearing an elastic waistband. <laughs> You're not on stage. That's true. <laughs> if you got up on stage and started singing a song, it'd be like, mm. yeah, right. <laughs> Gotta rethink. We could that. do. We can I'll do call better you first. <laughs> yeah, we can do better than that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's so weird because it's never one size fits all. No pun intended for style advice for people, mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely not post 2020. Yeah. It's kind of like whatever you want. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, are you, um, are you offering any, anything or where can people find you? Cause I know you used to do like, um, styling advice, but now, yeah. Yeah. Tell people. Um, I'm on TikTok at the Peyton project and I'm on Instagram at the Peyton project. My TikTok mm-hmm. is definitely more, uh, style centric on how to style yourself. Plus mm-hmm. little, tidbits about the fashion industry that you might not know about. Um, yes. I did one yesterday since the Oscars were Sunday on how people acquire their Oscar dresses. And a lot of people did not know about it. 
Um, but also like how to style certain things I really I'm hanging out over there pretty much every day now, as opposed to Instagram and Facebook, I just don't even have anymore. No. Yeah. I feel like I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. TikTok. I'm still getting used to. We'll see. Yeah. Come join us. Come join us at the TikTok cult. Yeah. I mean, that sounds cool. I need some, I need some (laughs) advice. And I, I love like the information on like, did you know this about this? And, um, yeah, you did one about like, yeah, slow fashion versus fast fashion or like what certain materials are made out of. I was like, well, that's, I've never yep. really thought of that. So. See, there's me going all in again. Yeah. <laughs> Learn all sorts of things over on TikTok. I can tell you who the Beatle Taylor was and I can tell you all about where your clothes are made from. I don't remember my social security number. Um, <laughs> or if I did my laundry. Things. Yeah, so that's fine. But yeah, I'm all over Funny. there. The Peyton Project. That's great. Well, do you have, um, one more thing, do you have any, like, um, from the year, I know you haven't been to the festival in a few years, but I went do you have, like, in yeah. my last, my last time was, I went for a day in 2019. In 19. So that was the last time okay. I went. Yeah. Um, yeah. I used to be like the full come up on a Wednesday, leave on a Tuesday, but my work does yeah. not allow it anymore. It's a little, yeah, a little yeah. hard to do that. Do yeah. you have like a favorite memory or show from the festival that you've seen let me think if it's one I can talk about (laughs) or anything style related like (gasps) wow um my phone was really wearing a great outfit I don't know who who you've seen other years Misty Perholt is a style icon (laughs) plain and simple um I think so I met two of my very best friends at Abbey Road and because of Abbey Road we, you know, we haven't been able to go back because, you know, one has a one-year-old now and then I have my career, but I'm still, it's crazy to think that I've been friends with all these people for so long because of this one of this band. And every, every time that the anniversary of the Beatles coming to America comes up, mm-hmm. I get emotional. Cause I'm like, yeah. what would I have been? Yeah. That not happen? I think my favorite, one of my favorite memories was the, the year the newbies hosted the midnight jam. Mm. and it was in the ballroom and it was just all the music was great everybody was having fun and I was in the front row with two of my very best friends and that was 11 years ago wow and I talked to them every single day we're in a group chat every single day and yeah and it's just kind of like knowing that I was with my people and now Mm -hmm. looking back on it and just the songs were so great actually I will tie a memory into this so I met Shelby Stanley, who was Shelby Egan at Abbey Road on the River, and I believe 2009 or 10. And she's my age. She's around my age. And I remember thinking it was cool that she went, she came with her mom. Um, she's now basically a sister at this point. I've stayed with her family. She stayed with mine. But there was, I think it was either one of the bandstand shows. It was one of the jam shows where Beatles songs were not covered. And I forget who did this. We still cannot remember who did this, but someone said, here's another good Beatles song. And they went into glad all over. Mm. And I went, I'm looking around, like, does anyone, that's not a Beatles song. I'm catching that. Yeah. And Shelby's doing the same thing. Uh. So we're like, what is this? I'd never met her. We're like, what is this? And I walk over and go, I'm Peyton. I'm outraged. And she goes, I'm Shelby. Me too. So we joke that that's our song. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we because we, we both love the Dave Clark Five. So at Shelby's wedding, which I was in, mm-hmm. I was in her wedding because of Abbey Road on the River. 
this was in 2019. So this is almost 10 years later. Shelby did this really cool thing where whoever walked down the aisle, they had a song played. Okay. That pertained to their friendship. Yeah. No one knew what the song was until they walked down the aisle. Oh, interesting. So I get down these steps to go walk down to go stand up next to my best friend while she gets married and glad all over starts playing. Mm-hmm. And I burst out into tears because I'm yeah. like, I'm so grateful for your friendship. And then I realized I look like a dummy because I'm crying to a Dave Clark five song, but we met because we we're like, <laughs> but it's anyone- so significant. Yeah. Right? yeah. Does anyone else know this? So yeah. I think that was my favorite, one of my favorite memories, because it was just like, I see you, you're my people. And now she's my family. Right. And like, she's got a one-year-old. I'm the kid's aunt. Like I bought so many beetle onesies, but I think that was like, that has been one of the most significant moments of my life. Cause if someone didn't say that I wouldn't have her. Right. And she's so important to me. And I met, you know, I went to New York to go visit my friend, Ashley, who I met when I was 17 she was 20 and like we just see like growing up with all these people has been mm-hmm. really the core group that's my age has been really cool even though some yeah. of us don't even go to the festival anymore mm-hmm. um just kind of seeing how we all grew up and how the Beatles are still all important to us yeah and just like yeah creating those friendships oh that's great well we can leave it there but yep. thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this was illuminating. It was so fascinating. I learned so much about You're like, I know so much about tailoring. I didn't know I knew. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Something Will Happen. Remember that Abbey Road on the River is happening May 26th to 30th, 2022 in Jeffersonville, Indiana. To start making your plans, head over to AROTR.com. There you can see the full lineup of bands that are coming, check out shows we're planning, book your hotels, and grab your tickets while you're there. Head over to AROTR.com slash podcast and enter your email to get $5 of Beetle Bucks to use at the festival for food, drinks, and our exclusive festival merchandise. For the most up-to-date information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll see you in May. Something will happen.